0: everybody. Welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host, Ashley Van Houten. This is my last podcast episode for 2021. And maybe the last one for a little while as I am focusing on other things, but we'll talk about that somewhere separately. This one's going to be a big one. This one is going to be another one of those episodes where I'm just staring bizarrely into my laptop um, because I'm doing this one on my own. Uh, Because this uh, episode, I'm talking about my pregnancy and birth and postpartum story. And it's something I've been putting off a little bit. I'm four months postpartum now, so I'm kind of out of the fourth trimester um, initial period. And I wanted to share this story and my experiences and what I've learned because I know that I really enjoyed and found helpful learning from other people before me. And so, I'm going to try to make this episode not be five hours long. Maybe I have to drip it out over a couple episodes. If it is too long, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I'm going to talk in three kind of big sections. The first one's going to be pregnancy. Second one is birth. And the third one is postpartum. I took some questions from you guys, from listeners and people on social media. So I'm going to try to address most of those. And the first thing I want to say before I go any further is that this story is my personal story. I'm going to talk about the highs and lows and the things that worked for me and the things that I experienced. And I am going to make some educated inferences about why I believe things went the ways that they went, both good and bad. Um, and so I want to everyone listening to understand that this is not medical advice. I'm not telling you that you have to do the things that I did. And I'm also not saying anywhere explicitly that I had the experience I had because 100% how I lived my life. I do believe strongly that lifestyle factors um, were a big part of how my pregnancy and birth and recovery went, but I understand that this is a very personal experience and I don't want anyone listening to think, okay, well, if I didn't do it the exact way she did, um, she thinks I did it wrong or I'm stupid or whatever. And I also don't want people to think, well, I did do it basically the way you did. And it didn't work out that way for me. We're all very individual and different and nothing more than birth is as, you know, singular and, um, of a crapshoot really at the end of the day so i don't want to say that you know i think that this is all just luck and chance or lack of luck when a birth goes a certain way Um, but i just want to be clear that i'm not telling anyone what to do i'm telling you what happened for me and why i think it happened that way so i just want that to be clear Um, no judgment no prescriptions nothing just a story and some educated inferences. Okay. So now that that's out of the way. All right. First up, we're talking pregnancy and um, I'm going to try to answer some questions along the way. Some of the questions were around preconception, trying to get pregnant. And so the very first thing I'll say there is um, I did not have a hard time getting pregnant. I was fortunate in that respect, um, considering I'm in my mid to late thirties and I'm considered an old Lady, geriatric pregnancy. Um, but I had no reason to believe that I would have any issues, my partner and I, um, conceiving. And I will say the one thing um, that was relevant to us medical issues aside, or medical issues around getting pregnant aside, um, stress is probably one of the biggest factors involved in um fertility so people who are uber uber stressed out about getting pregnant that is going to impact your ability to get pregnant and you know any woman with a cycle knows that that's also the case for your your monthly cycle if you're super stressed out if you're not sleeping if you're eating weird if you're doing anything that is crazy stressing your system that impacts your cycle so why wouldn't it then impact your ability to get pregnant so to the people who asked me, you know, tips about preconception and how to get pregnant. Um, obviously, just be as healthy as you can. You know, eat well, sleep well, exercise, be healthy. Try to make yourself um, ready for what could potentially come if you get pregnant. But other than that, and I know it's easier said than done. If you really want to get pregnant, but that's that's the answer. Like, if you stress yourself into a crazy cortisol spiked mess, that is going to impact your ability to get pregnant. So for us, we were very low stress about it. We were kind of just like, all right, it's the pandemic and we're not going anywhere. We're not getting any younger. Should we just try this? And like a week later, we got pregnant. So that's my story. Um, I wasn't taking prenatal vitamins. I did start taking some when I got pregnant, but I mean, my prenatal vitamin was uh, liver eating organ meats, eating nutrient dense foods. I mean, that's what the original prenatal vitamin was, right? It was like eat healthy and try to just be as healthy and rested and recovered, uh, as you you possibly can be because women's bodies are very sensitive to, are you able to withstand the stress of getting pregnant? And if you aren't, you won't. So that's that. Um, so Getting pregnant, got pregnant. That's done. Um, I was fortunate that I did not have a lot of nausea. Um, so that's another very, very common um, side effect, especially in like the first trimester. And I got a lot of people saying like, "How do you survive that first trimester?" I certainly didn't feel great, um, but I wasn't very nauseous. I had like a cup, like a week or two, where I was like, "I don't feel so hot," and my my um, my appetite was down. I couldn't drink coffee weirdly enough. Like the meat and stuff was fine, but I coffee grossed me out. My delicious iced coffee. Drink break. I couldn't drink that for like a week. Um, but I was certainly exhausted. I was having some like interesting night sweats and like weird dreams and felt very much like my body was working hard. Um, but I didn't have a lot of nausea. So I will say again, that I think generally speaking, a, A nutrient-dense diet will help with that leading into it. But I I also think that the nausea thing is highly genetic. I think it's how your body responds to the spike in this HCG hormone and just like the hormone ups and downs in general. Some people's bodies react um, more strongly to that than others. And so, yeah, sorry, guys, the nausea thing. I mean, ginger is supposed to help. Um, Not letting yourself be super hungry, carbs, all of those things help with the nausea. Um, So I would say, generally speaking, that things like fasting and going super low carb should for most of us, most of us be off the table during pregnancy. And I'll get into that a little bit more with the, um, the nutrition side of it. Cravings, I did have some interesting cravings. I mean, I don't need to explain these. I basically, I craved breakfast sandwiches, um, eggs and bacon and cheese on bread. And so I ate a fair bit of breakfast sandwiches. And I also craved cinnamon buns, which I hear from other pregnant women is a thing. I don't know if it's the cinnamon. Um, But so, you know, as soon as I got pregnant, I basically was like, I'm going to keep eating the food that I always ate. And then if I have a strong craving for something, I'm going to eat that. And I think that because I wasn't restricting myself in any way that actually kept me from having like crazier intense cravings throughout my pregnancy. I didn't I didn't have any of these like I have to eat a pint of ice cream or I have to eat all the French fries that I can find with pickles and also ice cream. I didn't really have any crazy cravings like that. And I think it's because when I was like, hmm. I feel like a cinnamon bun. I ate one. Um, and I just ate what my body wanted. And I, it's really kind of cool that I feel like at no other time in my life was my body giving me such strong signals of what I wanted. It told me a hundred percent, like go eat some meat, actually go eat some carbs. Like one thing that happened through my pregnancy that was really interesting and unique was I started craving fruit a lot. Um, and i don't normally eat fruit um i just don't usually crave it i don't have a problem with it but my body was like eat a bunch of citrus vitamin c um eat fruity juicy like it, i wanted to be hydrated i suppose too it was the summer as i was going on in pregnancy so i had very strong cravings um and i just kind of honored them so i would i would recommend that for a lot of people so again nutrition wise i really didn't change my nutrition i ate um protein heavy lots of animal protein i had a lot of friends joking that you know wouldn't it be funny if you um couldn't eat meat during your pregnancy you were super grossed out by it and you had to like eat vegetarian or something sorry guys didn't happen i hardly ate any vegetables just telling you um yeah i ate organ meats and meat and cheese and fruit and i ate a lot more carbs So the carb question, and I got this later about breastfeeding too, um, most of the doctors, midwives, OBGYNs, um, health professionals, people that I have talked to and through my own experience and research, I don't think anybody would recommend low carb um, for pregnant women. Um, Now that looks different for different people. Like maybe your version of low carb is still um, quite or your version of higher carb is still lower than the typical person's. I don't know. Um, but trying to get through the massive, massive work that is creating a human, um, and then feeding them later without carbs, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If you have, A separate medical condition where carbs are, are really metabolically damaging for you. You you need to speak to a professional about that. But for the vast majority of us who just prefer to eat low carb because we feel better and we look better, um, that kind of should go a little bit out the window. um, when you are again, growing a person from scratch, you will just be a lot hungrier. You will crave carbs more. Um, you just need that energy throughout the day to get through it. And I'll tell you like, It is exhausting, especially the first trimester and the last trimester. Second trimester, you get a bit of a break. Not really, but it's a trip that you kind of walk through life. And especially in the first trimester when you don't look pregnant and you are so tired and you feel so unlike yourself, it can be challenging because your body is doing such hard work and there's really nothing to show for it. And so it can be a little bit weird. Like, should I be sleeping all day? Should I be taking a break? Should I stop working out? Should I eat all these carbs? I'm the same. Like this thing is just barely starting, you know, honor how your body feels. If there's one time, it's this unique time in your life. And you notice, I'm not saying sit on the couch and only eat ice cream. Cause that's not what I did. And I don't think most people should do that, but listen and relax and give yourself a break and really understand the work that your body's doing and respect that, you know, it's important and that should be prioritized. Um, okay. So food. Yeah. Um, I took a prenatal vitamin, ate everything that I always eat. Try to do that. Try to keep that protein up. Um, but eat carbs, like eat healthy carbs, eat carbs that your body tolerates just the same as you always would. Um, Okay, so food—that's it. I didn't have any aversions. I t- okay, I talked about that. Um, the exhaustion and tiredness—I kind of just touched on that, but um, I think that—and this is something I cover in the Muscle Science for Women course that I do with my friend Rachel—and I talk about a lot. You know, women are busy. We have busy lives. You may have other kids to take care of. You may have a full-time job. Um, you may be just Type A and not like the idea of slowing down. But I really kind of took it upon myself to, again, this is a very unique time in my life. It's very temporary. It may be the only time that I do this. I'm just going along for the ride and doing what my body wants me to do. I still thought there was a part of me that was like, I'm going to be one of those like hashtag fit pregnancy women. Who's like crushing intense workouts when they're nine months pregnant. And is like wrapping out pull-ups when they're seven months pregnant. This was not the case. Um, (laughs) I slowed down a lot. And part of it was I got pregnant during the pandemic where I live. My gym had been shut down for um, a year before I got pregnant. So my workout volume had already been reduced drastically. And then I got pregnant. It was the winter time at the beginning. And so I wasn't really walking as much. It's very cold here. And I wasn't working out as much. I still have a home gym. I was working out, but very, very drastically reduced. And yeah, I did have some moments where I was like, seriously, like the gym has to be closed. Now I don't feel good. I'm going into this probably like the least fit I've ever been. Um, But I had to talk myself down and understand that it's not just about what you do during your pregnancy. I have dedicated over a decade of my life to being as healthy and fit and resilient as I possibly could be. And that was preparation for this time. So it wasn't just what I was doing the month I got pregnant or the months that I was pregnant. It's what I've been doing for my body my entire life. So if you're somebody who cares about your health and wellness and is fit, it's about consistency over time. Maybe you aren't as fit the nine, 10 months that you're pregnant, but you've worked very hard leading up to it, that is going to have a significant impact. And it did for me. So I did have moments where I was sad and angry and wished it was different and wished I was a little bit fitter going into it and wished I could work out a little bit more during it. But again, I wasn't letting that add to the stress of already being pregnant. I didn't want that to impact my health um, and just kind of being pissy about it, wasn't going to fix anything. So instead I rested when I wanted to rest and I worked out and did what I could. Um, but one wrench that was thrown into the plan during my pregnancy that I did not expect, because like I said, I was doing quite well as far as symptoms go. Um, I came up against a challenge that I had not heard of until I experienced it. And that was a pelvic pelvic girdle, um, Pain issue called SPD, um, pubic symphysis dysfunction, or um, yeah, pubic symphysis dysfunction. And basically, what that is, is your um, pelvic girdle, the joint, there's a pubic symphysis joint, like sort of in the front bottom of your pelvis. You can look it up and get good pictures of it. The joint does not move much. Not like our, you know, uh, shoulders and hips where they have a wide range of motion, it barely moves. But when you become pregnant, Another hormone that kind of runs rampant in your body is this one called relaxin, which starts to relax your ligaments and joints and make things a bit more flexible and able to open and move to make way for this growing baby and to give birth. And so, for some people, that joint can become like more relaxed than maybe it should, um, and it causes your your pelvis to kind of move in ways that aren't ideal or aren't comfortable, um, and it causes pretty intense pain. It's kind of hard to explain if you haven't felt it, but it's just sort of like it feels like the ligaments in your pelvic area are like ripping when you move. That's the only way I can explain it. Um, Anybody who's had it, you know that it's like these very minor uh, movements that hurt the most. It's not like getting into a squat. It's like getting up out of bed or swinging your leg out of the car to get up. It's like these... um, you know, imbalanced movements that hurt the most. So like trying to do a split squat, for example, or trying to put a shoe on by like lifting one foot up off the ground and bouncing on the other, like little everyday movements became very, very painful. I ended up dealing with this quite early in my pregnancy. A lot of people don't get it until you start getting like very visibly pregnant and bigger and heavier. I started feeling it. I want to say around like 15 weeks and it carried through the entire pregnancy. So it was something that ranged from this is painful. This is my life now to almost debilitating. It was really, really bad. And one thing that it taught me, um, was that I believe that I, I think people get it for different reasons, but I think that it showed me some glaring, um, instability or muscle imbalance issues that I have in my, uh, like legs, hips, lower back glutes, um, that I think made this worse for me. Um, so I've been trying to address that now in my postpartum fitness, but at the time there was really nothing I could do except try to move in ways that did not make it worse, which is very difficult. And again, really modify the kinds of exercise I was doing. It was real painful guys, like rolling over in bed for seven straight months. I had to like grip my teeth when I rolled over in bed, like That's how bad it was. Not because I was big and heavy, because my pelvis joints were trying to kill me. So if you are feeling that, that's a thing. There are exercises you can do that can minimize that and start to strengthen those areas. So I'll put in the show notes, um, some folks that I followed and learned from, I also did a podcast with a pelvic health therapist who can, um, that, that podcast can illuminate some stuff for you, but it is a relatively common thing. Not everyone's going to get it. Not everyone gets it every pregnancy, but I got it real bad and it hurt a lot. And I feel for any woman out there experiencing it or who had it, it sucked so bad. So that was another thing that kind of kept my fitness um, down to a minimum during my pregnancy because it just, um, it was horrible. Um, So yeah, the mindset around working out, basically I walked a lot as soon as it was no longer the dead of winter. I walked a lot. I have... uh, assault bike in my home gym. I would get on that kind of pedal slowly and sadly just for some movement. I did some mobility stuff. I did some of this pelvic, um, health and like breathing stuff and mobility stuff. I did a lot more, um, mobility stuff in general and things like yoga. Uh, so basically like the opposite of how I normally work out when I'm not pregnant is what I did. And it turned out that's kind of what I needed. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the fitness part of it. It was, um, again, a bit of a shock how quickly I like downgraded um, what I could do, but with the exhaustion and the pelvic pain and then the other f- factor that came into it. And one thing that I was really hyper aware of because I was very worried about the recovery part. I was really worried about being able to get my strength back, get my core function back, get my pelvic floor function back. Because I, like many people had read a bunch of horror stories about how once you give birth, you're going to pee your pants when you work out and your abs are going to be all separated and messed up. And it's basically a horror show. So I was really worried. I was nervous and I wanted to really baby myself a little bit in the gym because I didn't want to make things worse. I'm like, there's already going to be all kinds of changes happening. I don't want to make it worse by being irresponsible with how I worked out. And I remember the week that I stopped doing pull-ups, which is pretty good. I made it to 22 weeks. So four, eight, 12, 16, 20, I was like five months pregnant, um, had a little bit of a belly. It hadn't really popped yet, but I was heavier for sure. Um, and I stopped doing pull-ups because I remember I got to the gym, it was open for a week or so, and I started doing one and I felt, I felt very uncomfortable in my core area. I felt like the abs were doing something they weren't supposed to be doing. I felt just kind of uncomfortable movement there and pressure there um, that immediately told me, do not push through this. This is no longer a good movement for you do something else. And I stopped. I still had the strength to do them, but I didn't feel comfortable doing it. Um, And so I stopped at that point. And um, we can talk, I guess, about the diastasis issue now, too. So that's something that uh, happens to virtually all pregnant women. Your ab muscles separate as your stomach gets bigger and your baby gets bigger and kind of pushes your stomach muscles out and apart. Um, This is a normal part of pregnancy. And for the vast majority, well, I would say the majority of people, it heals and comes back together post-pregnancy. And especially if you are paying attention to it and you're um, breathing properly and not overdoing it and not going back and doing crazy high pressure workouts that use a lot of core strength, Like you need to let yourself heal. Um, But it was something that I had kind of been worried about. Cause it's like, okay, your abs are separated. They're going to look weird. You're going to have this, this coning that a lot of people see when you have a big separation between the, like it's the linear Alba between the two like rows of ab muscles. It's when they separate that, that space in between has more, less tension, I should say less tension. So that when you are bracing to lift something heavy, or you're doing something very core heavy, like a pull-up, you'll see like a pushing out of your abdomen because that that area isn't creating tension the way it should be and again that's not necessarily like you're injuring yourself worse but you aren't um, you aren't managing the pressure in your core properly so there's a whole subsection of um, medicine that works on and physical therapy that works on how you Breathe through movements and how you practice breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, in a way that strengthens those muscles again and strengthens that ability to um, manage core pressure. It's essentially learning how to contract your like deep transverse abs. Um, and when you're lifting, you aren't really like holding your breath and bearing down the way you may have been taught to, if you're a power lifter or a heavy lifter, you aren't really supposed to be doing that while you're pregnant or certainly, um, healing afterwards. That's too much for this one podcast, but basically I'll say, If you feel discomfort, like I noticed when I was doing like um, planks as well, anything that in some way was, I could feel, I just felt different in my core, pay attention to that, listen to it, and just stop doing it. There are so many other things you can do if you want to work out and you want to feel core strength. You can do farmer's carries. You can do, I don't know, like, some other workout, like just find something else you can do. But if you're doing a movement and you feel an uncomfortable sensation in your core or your pelvic floor, you feel something that just doesn't feel right. Stop doing it and do something else. Um, so that's what I did. I mostly walked. I did a lot of upper body bodybuilding dumbbell stuff because it didn't really, it didn't put a lot of pressure on my core and it was simple and it didn't involve my legs and my pelvic pain. So I did a lot of upper body stuff, which I like anyway. Um, and I try to do some light squats and mobility stuff when I could. So I was working out maybe a couple times a week and then just doing mobility and walking every day. That was my activity. I did not care about how many calories I was eating. I did not care about how many hours I was putting into working out. I knew that my fitness would carry me through the fitness that I had worked for, for 15 years and i knew that i was doing the best i could and that the priority the energy priority was going into making a baby um so that's it just give yourself a break listen to your body don't push it this is the one time not to push it it's all i can say all right now quickly for the pre-birth part i'm going to talk a little bit about the choices i made for what my birth was going to be so i for anybody who followed at the beginning when i was talking about this I chose to have a midwife instead of a OBGYN, and I also hired a doula, and my plan was also to give birth at a birth center rather than a hospital or at home. And the reasons why I made this decision and also caveat, I'm in Canada, so these things are a little bit different here than in the States um, and in other places that you may be listening in Australia or Europe. Um, But these options are available if you have the resources and depending on where you live. So, you know, do your research. But where I live, I was very fortunate that we have a pretty strong um, midwife community. And I also had a birth center relatively close to where I live. I wanted to do this because I wanted, I hoped to have a water birth. I just thought that that seemed calming for both myself and the baby um, is just something that I appealed to me. So I just wanted to try it. I also wanted to have an unmedicated birth. Um, and my reason for this, and again, I know this is a sensitive subject, but the reason I wanted to do it is because I believe I believed that I have a higher chance of a faster, better, easier recovery if I have kind of a rougher, unmedicated birth. And evidence seems to play that out, that for relatively uncomplicated births, being able to feel what you're doing and feel what's happening um, can often result in less injury to the mother, which means faster recovery time. And when you are trying to keep a baby alive and also recover for yourself... I just wanted to have the easiest time possible. And if that meant having a slightly harder time during the birth, I was willing to give that a shot. I wasn't 100% against any kind of intervention. Um, I talked with my midwives about it. I just said, this is what I hope for. This is what I'm going to plan and train for, essentially. And I hired a doula because I wanted a support person there who was not related to me, um, or very close to the situation who was experienced and who could provide support and who could be calm when we were not calm and who could just kind of, you know, talk my husband down if he was freaking out, whatever, just, I wanted a team of ringers with me who knew what they were doing. Um, and I wanted to do it at the birth center because I frankly just didn't want to go through that process in my home. It would be messy and chaotic and, you know, God forbid if something happened. I just didn't want to be at home um if things went haywire, but I really didn't want to be at a hospital if I didn't have to be. Hospitals are uh full of sick people and um, I don't know bad lighting and just strangers and it just seemed like not a place that was conducive to the calm, natural setting I was hoping for. And the birth center that's close to me essentially looks like a hotel. Um, I actually have, I think, in my pregnancy highlight on my Instagram, some videos of where I gave birth. And it was, you know, as incredible as you could hope for. It was a queen-size bed and a fireplace and a huge jacuzzi and a massive private bathroom. And the only people who are in there were the people that I wanted to be in there. My partner, my doula, and my midwife. <clears throat> so there's no strangers coming in and out and new doctors here and there. At the time that I gave birth, there was no one else at the birth center. So everyone was focused on me, which was pretty great. Um, and I do not regret any of those decisions. So the midwife, I had to be put on a uh, wait list because there, even though it's a relatively niche group of people who go with midwives, there's only so many midwives. And with the demand, I ended up getting one. And I learned a little bit that they do kind of screen their potential I guess, clients, you would say, or patients, because they choose low-risk uh, women, right? Because if there is an issue or if there is a higher chance of something happening that requires an OBGYN or requires a hospital, it makes more sense for that person to have that care from the beginning. So they generally pick people who seem like they have the best chance of having an intervention-free um, pregnancy and birth. Um, and i was just so lucky that the folks that i got in with were amazing women we'll get into that when i talk about the birth story but she, they were just awesome i worked with a few different midwives and they were incredible women they always they were very accessible every time i went to a meeting an appointment we would sit there and they'd answer any questions i had and i had plenty of them but they were relatively like low intervention like i wasn't getting checked all the time i don't think i was weighed once Like I would go and they would check the baby's blood pressure and they'd check the size of my belly to make sure I was growing okay. And I had a couple classic ultrasounds, but like they weren't poking and prodding at me and like, how much did you gain? And this, like none none of that. They were just like, how are you feeling? Baby's good. See you next month. Um, Which I loved. And the doula was incredible. I made I had two doulas, but one showed up the day of the birth. And we had like a WhatsApp group where I could ask them any questions and they'd talk to me and give me suggestions. And so it wasn't just the one day that they were there to support. They were with me sort of for months, um, they came to my house a couple of times to answer questions and talk to me. They came to my house a couple of times after the birth to again, assist with anything that I needed, um, with the midwives again, they, um, the, another benefit is that you don't usually have to stay at the hospital very long because they come to you for the first few weeks after birth for all of those important checkups and checking you and checking the baby and weighing and checking for jaundice and all that stuff. They come to your house Okay. It's a pretty sweet deal. So I'm going to say also, all of this is free. This is part of our healthcare system. A lot of even Canadians don't know this. They're like, wow, you gave birth at this amazing place and you had this great like, setup and the midwife is like your friend and like it's all great. Does not cost extra. Something to think about. I basically gave birth in like a luxury hotel room. So that was all great. So I do not regret any of those decisions. I totally understand if people feel more comfortable in a hospital, you can still usually have a midwife and give birth in a hospital. Um, And I totally understand if people would prefer to have a doctor. I liked the level of care and attention and personalized just interaction that I had with midwives, but no judgment. I'm just telling you what I had. It was fantastic. Um, So that's that. Is there anything else I can tell you? Um, all of the sort of tests and um, ultrasounds and stuff I had leading up were healthy. Um, he was big all the time, which made me super nervous. And I worried that was it, you know, something I was eating. I mean, my husband's big. Um, he's six, 200. I'm on the smaller side of average. Um, we had no big babies really in our family. So I'm like, why is this kid measuring like weeks bigger the whole way through. Um, so I was like very nervous about that natural birth. I told you about (laughs) having probably a bigger than average baby. Um, but a lot of these things are not, um, completely accurate. So they're like, you know, he could be looking big in the ultrasounds because he's got a long frame or a big head, but he's not actually as heavy as we're anticipating. Like you don't know. Um, so that was that It kind of sucked that most of the ultrasounds and meetings I had to go to by myself because of the pandemic and it sucked that that was uh, a thing, an opportunity that um, Alex didn't really get to experience with me. Uh, The first time I went to an ultrasound and saw that tiny little peanut moving around kind of looked like a person and he was like moving like crazy. It, It was the most incredible thing ever. And I'm sad that I didn't really get to share that with him. Um, He was also a very active baby in the womb, which, um, you know, they run the gamut, totally healthy babies, sometimes barely move at all. And sometimes they never stop. He kicked the hell out of me. Basically, as soon as he was big enough for me to notice, he was kicking the crap out of me and sometimes it hurts. So some people will tell you it's like this magic fluttering in your belly. Sometimes it's like a little MMA fighter kicking you in the ribs all day long. Um, So that was a trip. Another discomfort that I felt as I got bigger and maybe as some like fit chicks will experience that I didn't think was going to happen was I could actually feel the pain of my abs and my skin around the biggest part of my belly, like around my belly button, stretching and opening it. It was a very uncomfortable feeling. Like I'd walk around feeling like, oh, it's kind of, I feel it like pulling apart almost. So I, in the later stages, um, was using like that muscle tape, you know, like that kinesio tape, um, to tape around my belly button just to give it a feel. it wasn't doing anything really. It wasn't like keeping anything in. It was just sort of giving me an extra feeling of support. I also had a belly band from a company, um, that I'll put in the show notes that again, is not in any way compressive. Do not put waist trainer type things around your guts when you're pregnant. Um, but it was something that was developed for women who, it's sort of like a very light, like a, like a, training bra, but for your belly, like just providing a little bit of support so that it feels like there's something there helping you as you're walking around with this heavy weight in your guts. Um, because it's heavy and big. And if you're not used to that, which of course you wouldn't be the first time it can be uncomfortable. I'm like walking around, like holding my belly because I just felt like it was, it was too big. Um, and it wasn't even really that big until the end. And then it really popped. Um, but there's lots of things you can do, um, to ease the discomfort as I got sort of near the end, it was the middle of the summer, which was very uncomfortable. I was starting to kind of get a little swelly. Um, I was trying to drink a lot and, you know, move a lot and stuff, but near the end, I'll tell you, and this is humbling for me because again, I had a relatively easy, simple pregnancy except for the pelvic pain. Um, But near the end, like the last month, it was, a Herculean effort to walk around the block. Truly. I looked fine. I felt cute. It was great. Everyone's like, Oh, look at you. Look, at so cute. Pregnant. Oh, you must be ready to go anytime for me to get up and go for a 10, 15 minute walk around the neighborhood in the heat, being super pregnant, almost ready to go. It was like agonizing. Like it was real hard. I had to really make myself go, um, And at that point, it really was a comfort thing. Like I was so uncomfortable regardless of what I was doing. I wanted to kind of move my blood and move my body a little bit. I wasn't pushing to work out hard. I just needed to move. And it was rough, guys. I feel you. Anybody who's in that last little bit, if you're the partner of somebody who's in that last month of pregnancy, just do everything you can for them because their life is miserable, probably it was really rough. I understand finally why women are ready to go into labor because they're so uncomfortable. They're like, just get this out, get this baby out of me. This sucks. Um, the only fitness thing that I managed to keep up and I was really kind of proud of myself. You may have noticed if you follow me on Instagram, is the stair workout that I did once a week. There's a really awesome set of stairs here that are pretty gnarly. They're like quite high. Um, but I wasn't running up them. I wasn't working very hard for whatever reason, the steps almost hurt less than walking sometimes for my new body. Um, so we'd go there once a week and I'd plod up and down those steps and, you know, strangers and women would, Tell me I was doing great and give me high fives. I felt really good, Um, but it was something that kind of made me feel continue to sort of feel strong and like I was doing something. So if you can find something that makes you feel good like that, do it. You can do it right up until the day before you give birth if you're feeling it. Um, But that's it. So that's essentially my pregnancy story. Generally healthy, still incredibly taxing and crazy. Um, Watching your body change every day, there's sort of like a new mini symptom or thing to kind of deal with. Um, But I gave myself a lot of patience and I just told myself, this is my job. And I was fortunate enough to be in a situation where I could really focus on that. This is my job is to be as healthy as possible, to not make anything worse or harder or more stressful for myself. I'm going to try to enjoy the moments, although I'm fine. I accepted that I didn't enjoy all of it because a lot of it sucked. You're still having an incredible experience. Um, And so, yeah, try to to enjoy it while you can, but know that you're doing really, really hard work. And it doesn't matter how fit you are. It doesn't matter if you have barely gained any weight and you still feel super great or whatever. It's still a ton of work you're creating a person, give yourself a break, treat yourself as well as you possibly can. And then prep for that birth because it's a wild ride. So I'm going to take a break here for a minute. And then I'm going to talk about the birth, which is the most epic part of this. Um, Thank you for sticking with me. Quick break. Talk about the birth next. All right everybody we are back for the second part of this uh pregnancy postpartum trilogy i'm going to talk about the birth now uh i got some more liquid because this is an exhausting day talking about all of this it's exhausting to talk for a long time but it's really exhausting to kind of relive some of this stuff because it's just so intense and one of the things that i tried to do right after birth was write write it down, that I would share it in a blog post and share it with people who are interested. And I still have not put that blog post out yet because I found it very difficult to try to explain and try to do justice to the experience just in words in a blog post. And I kept tr- trying then I'd come back to it. And I almost didn't want to look at it or, or read it. And I think that was still me trying to like process the experience. Um, and now that I'm like a few months out, I'm more ready to do this. And I also have kind of come to terms with the fact that I probably will never be able to adequately explain how it felt, how I feel, what the experience meant. Um, and I think most people who have either been through birth or any kind of singular crazy experience, you just have to make peace with the fact that, you know, you're never going to be able to like really fully recreate it for someone else. But I know that, um, people can find a lot of peace in hearing other people's stories, a lot of information, a lot of things that they may not have thought about that they may want to go and do some of their own research and look into a lot of comfort and entertainment. And, you know, people just love hearing about other people's stories. So I'm hoping I will get that blog post out because I do think that it will probably have a bit more detail than me um, talking through it, because I'm going to forget some things um, and know that I'm really just telling the story kind of off the cuff. So forgive me if I ramble or go in weird directions, but I'm just kind of like telling you the story. Um, So birth. Okay. I went into labor on my due date, which is pretty rare, apparently. Um, But I had not really been having any signs or symptoms leading up to it. I was having Braxton Hicks contractions, which um, are essentially, they are like training contractions for your uterus. So some people feel them, some people don't, some people have a lot of them, some people don't. I had a lot of them like from 25 weeks on all the time forever. And they were quite sort of intense. They weren't painful at all, but they would just out of nowhere, I would just sort of feel my stomach. Like hardening. And I could like look down and like I have pictures, like I could like grab his body inside me because it, your uterus would just like contract around the baby and it would be rock hard, stomachs rock hard. And it's like a little uncomfortable, but not anything crazy. But you could like see him and feel him. And it was really interesting. So I'd been having those for weeks and weeks and weeks, but um, it wasn't anything that made me feel like anything was happening. And the night of my due date, um, Alex was like, he had to go, he was visiting some friends and he was like, should I go? Cause it's your due date. And I was like, I'm not going to give birth my due date that hardly ever happens. It's like 5% of the time. So he took off and it was the evening around dinner time. And as soon as he left, basically I had a meal and then I started having some cramps, which felt different than anything I'd felt so far and a little bit of light bleeding. And I also should say here for anybody who's squeamish, like I'm going to talk about Everything. Okay. So some of you might find it TMI. I would imagine that most of you who are listening are women or you're interested in birth or you're partners of people who are going to give birth. So like you probably hopefully won't think this is TMI, but I'm just going to tell you what happens. So sorry if it's gross. But anyway, a little bit of light bleeding and some cramps that were definitely cramps, but like nothing crazy alarming. And so I sort of like, I paid attention to them and they were kind of like every 10 minutes apart, which is nothing to be concerned about. And I'd read over and over again that with first time births, you could be going through mild beginner active labor for like days. So like walk around your house and clean up and pack your bag or do whatever you're going to do. It's nothing to be concerned about. So that was kind of the vibe I was in. And that went on for like about two hours. And then My husband texted me and was like, you know, how's it going? And I was like, yeah, don't freak out. But like, I think I'm having some contractions. So maybe come home. So of course he freaks out and flies home real quick, which actually worked out well, because as soon as he got there, things kind of escalated quickly. So when he got home, I was feeling a little bit more pain and he was, he started kind of timing them and they were like, immediately went to like three to four minutes apart. Like I had like two hours of like, early. This isn't a big deal. And then they just went ramped right up to like three minutes apart, quite intense. So he's like, oh, all right. Well, this is happening. Maybe I should call your doula and your midwife because the doula comes over and hangs out whenever you want them to essentially. And where I live, the midwife will come and check you out at your home because you. it's not advised that you um, go to the birth center. Actually, they don't admit you until you're at least six centimeters because six centimeters dilated. So pretty well into active labor because they don't want you like hanging out there for days, potentially. It doesn't make sense. So he called them while I was starting to kind of really start focusing on these contractions a bit more because they were pretty painful. And I had one like quickly after he got home, that was, painful like i was on the bed and i was kind of breathing and like sort of panicky because i was like it's not supposed to hurt this much this soon right and i had this like instinctive feeling i'm like i gotta go to the bathroom so i get up and i'm kind of like freaking out hobbling to the bathroom i get there and immediately whoosh water breaks just like in the movies big old lots of water Lots of water. It like felt like a balloon popping inside of me and then water gushing everywhere. So I was like, okay, water just broke. I think things are like really happening now. And he's like, oh shit. Okay. So the midwife actually, she like lives kind of out in the country. So it took her like a half hour to get to me. Um, and I was kind of worried. I was like, is this baby going to just like pop out of me in the bedroom? Like things seem to be escalating quickly. Um, but at that point, I was kind of just like pants off, moving around a little bit sort of dealing with the, the contractions still, I could like talk and stuff, but it was like, it was pretty intense. We had rented something called a tens unit that you may have heard about. That is sort of like, it's like electrical pulses. Um, they put these like patches on your body and turn it on. And it kind of gives you like a little electrical buzzy feeling that is supposed to break up the, the signals to your brain about the pain that you're feeling or whatever. So we had put those on my lower back personally, They did absolutely nothing. I'm told that they're more effective for people who are having like back labor based on the position of the baby. You might feel your contractions more in your back. Um, Magnus, my little boy, he was head down in the optimal position. So I wasn't feeling really back labor. I was feeling it very strongly in my stomach and like lower groin area. So it did nothing for me. Um, so my midwife shows up, I'm like in the swing of things, feeling these contractions. And she checks me out and says, you're about six centimeters. So you should probably get going. And at this point it's, you know, we're probably like four hours in, it's like maybe nine 30 or 10 at night. And we had everything already packed a bag, everything. If you want to know what I brought, that can be maybe a separate blog post or something. Um, so we get in the car. The birth center is like a 12 to 14 minute drive away. So not too bad. And it was at night. So we didn't have a lot of traffic. So I only had about two contractions in the car, um, two or three, which it was unpleasant. But that was another thing people had like scared me about. They're like, if you're in active labor in the car, it's the most painful, horrible thing. I mean, it sucked, but like whatever. It was fine. The doula had arrived at the house by then. So we just told her, go straight to the birth center. So we get to the birth center. The intake process was like a breeze. I signed some papers and I kind of hobbled into the room. Um, Folks had to wear a mask except for me at this point, which kind of sucked. But, you know, that's the time that we live in. So I wasn't wearing a mask. There's no way that was happening during labor. I couldn't have, as I'll tell you later. But we get into this beautiful suite and the tub had already been um, filled up for me because I had said that I wanted to labor in the tub. So my husband and I get in the tub right away and I proceed to basically play out my active labor um, in the tub. And I was in there for close to seven hours, did not get out um, because I kind of hit sort of like a, a routine as unpleasant as it was. I was just staying in that tub. I didn't want to get out. I didn't want to move. Um, And they basically, it was like my contractions were sort of every two to three minutes apart from, you know, 1030 at night to about five in the morning. And um, people asked me, what do contractions feel like? Actually, I should have made a note of the questions that you guys wanted me to ask. I've got them on my phone. For me, contractions, you know, they feel different than anything else. You can't really say they feel like period cramps or whatever, but... They feel like a combination of like very bad period cramps, maybe like gastrointestinal feeling cramps, like everybody can relate to what those feel like when you ate something bad and you it's not good that kind of cramp um and it does come in waves similar to like if you've ever had like um food poisoning or something and you're, you're, or you're very sick, like a viral stomach bug. And you can like feel that wave of like nausea or sickness. You can like feel it coming up and then maybe you throw up or do whatever you do. And then it kind of like fades back down. It was like that, except just much more intense, like a full body experience. And I was in the tub kind of rocking back and forth. And I was kind of doing some weird like movements, like, like with my legs, like kind of like my hips were kind of doing what they wanted to do. And I was breathing and sort of moaning and making noises during it. That was sort of like, just helps you get through the pain of the the moment. So it was sort of just like heavy kind of breathing through my nose and then like out through my mouth, making whatever noise I was making and kind of rocking back and forth. Um, And it stayed that intense. So for me, I didn't have the experience of like, oh it's not so bad and then it gradually ramps up 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 until you can't take it anymore it went from like not so bad for a couple hours to like quite bad and just stayed there like i don't have any memory of it getting worse it just sort of was bad and i think that it stayed at a a solid point for me because of another loophole, like wrench that was thrown into this process that I didn't expect to have happen. That apparently is quite rare with individuals, but I got it, which was pretty severe nausea throughout the entirety of my active labor. So you may have had this experience or heard that when women go into the transition phase, which is you're basically transitioning from the contraction thing, which is like opening your cervix and getting ready to give birth to the actual pushing birth phase there's this like little period that's called transition that's very intense very painful a lot of strong things are happening in your body emotionally it's a very intense time and a lot of people will maybe throw up a couple times during that period because it's just very intense the feelings the pain all this stuff i threw up the entire time that i was having contractions so every probably second contraction i was vomiting which sucked pretty bad. So I'm in a tub. My husband's in there with me. He's like pushing on my hips to kind of give me some comfort during contractions. He's just there as moral support. My doula was essentially holding a barf bucket for seven hours. Um, that sucked really bad. Um, but for that reason, I think I just kind of like, it just was all a blur of like the same misery for that seven hours. I had my eyes closed. I was very internally focused. Like I could hear people talking around me and I was like, cognizant of what was happening, but I wasn't really interacting with people. I was just kind of like getting through, you know, when the contraction was over, I'd kind of like go limp a little bit and Alex would hold me up. And, um, but yeah, I was thrown up a lot. So that sucked. I was well fed the day before. So that got me to a certain point, but I wasn't able to eat during labor at all. I wasn't able to really drink. They were kind of giving me ice chips in between to like keep my mouth wet. Um, But I very quickly was dealing with some dehydration that was going to be really problematic. So about three or four hours into this fun process. Uh, I got an IV, a fluid IV. So I had sort of the IV in my hand and I had to keep my hand stuck out of the tub. I have a picture of me like in the tub with my hand out and the IV attached to me. And I stayed in the tub cause I wanted to. And that I guess helped, um, in that it probably kept me from having to be transferred to a hospital for dehydration. Um, but you know, I was still just barfing the whole time basically. So, um, That was the majority of my time at the birth center at a certain point. And of course, my midwife is there and she's just intermittently checking um, his heart rate, checking me out. And basically, Magnus was doing great. His heart rate was fine. So as long as he was okay, I could kind of keep laboring the way I wanted to, which was great. And at a certain point, um, my contractions were the vocalizations that I was making started sounding a little bit more like grunting and I could feel it. It was sort of like, again, the opposite of vomiting, you know, when you're vomiting and it's like, you can't help it. Your body's making this forceful ejection, you know, and it, you're kind of making a sound and you're sort of grunting, like the whole vomiting thing. Sorry, guys. Unpleasant. That's what it is. Um, I was making that kind of vocalization and feeling, but it was like pushing downward. So I was kind of like ugh, grunting down with my contractions and the midwife noticed it and I noticed it and she was like, all right, I think something different is happening. So maybe let's get you out and get you checked. So I stepped out of the tub and I was all messed up by that point because I was very tired. I had been in a tub for seven hours. I was really dehydrated in a lot of pain. So kind of, I'm like hobbling out of there and I get on the bed and she checks me out and she's like, okay, you're about nine and a half, 10. So you're getting pretty close to ready to make this thing happen. And at one point they had me go sit on the toilet. This was a, is a very common, um, laboring place because as we all know, we're kind of conditioned to sort of release our pelvic floor on the toilet. That's where you feel comfortable kind of like letting that whole area relax. I did not like that feeling. I didn't like it because I guess I was kind of cold. I was tired, the toilet was kind of high and I'm kind of short, so I wasn't super comfy sitting on it. It wasn't a good scene, so I didn't really spend much time there. I ended up getting back on the bed and this was another, like, probably the biggest change between how I visualized the birth going and what actually happened. I did not give birth in the tub. I gave birth essentially on my back in kind of some some uh, modified positions, but... On a bed. And I, leading up to it, I was like, I'm not doing that pushing on your back thing. That's BS. I'm doing this mermaid deal in the tub. This is what's happening. It was not meant to be for this birth. The amount of work that I had to put into getting him out, it was not going to happen gently and peacefully in a tub. It just was not. I needed to work with all of my might and have help, you know, some assistance. You'll hear about it. So I was on the bed. Eyes still closed. I probably kept my eyes closed for like 12 hours straight. And I'll talk about that later. Very internal. Um, And so I essentially started to, with every contraction, push. And, um, you know, I had my husband on one side, I had the doula on the other, I had the midwife down at the business end. And I was kind of turning and like, you know, curling and doing whatever I could do. I had practiced and, and researched about how to push and breathe. Um, because there's lots of conversation around like that kind of breath hold pushing versus breathing out while you push. I was doing both. I was doing everything to try and get him out. Um, my pushing phase was pretty prolonged. I mean, I think my midwife said it was like somewhere on the like, okay. End of like longer normal. Like I was pushing for probably two and a half hours straight. Um, And I thankfully was vomiting less during this phase. I think I still threw up a couple times, but the process of pushing it just, I think my body transitioned a little bit and it was just, it was very difficult because he was, as I had mentioned, a bigger baby. He was in pretty good position, but he was sort of his head was kind of like at the top of my pelvis, the narrower part of my pelvis. And so instead of kind of turning underneath and kind of slipping out, he was kind of just like jutting up against my pelvis a little bit. So I had to work quite hard to get him out. And it again, I just remember this sort of repetitive okay, I feel the contractions coming, here we go. And I would just sort of like gather my strength and. push and breathe and groan and yell. And everyone that was there was kind of cheering me on, which was fantastic and ended up being very helpful for me to have these sort of supportive voices telling me that there was progress, that things were happening, that I was doing it right. Um, So that was great. Um, I, of course, felt all of this. I had no medication. So I think that that did help because I could feel when the pushing that I was doing was progressing things. Um, but it basically took a long time. Um, Super dehydrated. At one point, they tried to like catheterize me. It didn't work. That was rough. Told them in no uncertain terms to stop doing that. That wasn't going to work. And I'll talk about advocating for yourself a little bit later. Um, But I remember kind of getting to the end. And I was really proud and happy that during the entire process, I never felt afraid and I never felt unsure of what was happening or worried that something was wrong. I was very much like, I'm in it. I'm going to do this until it's done. I've got a good team around me. I'm okay. So even when it was painful or even when I was exhausted, I never felt scared. I just felt like, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's get it done. At the very end, I remember feeling like I don't know if I have a whole lot more to give because I was so tired. It was so exhausting. You the pushing is like, I don't know, for you meatheads, think about like your max lifts and you just are gathering everything you can and you're you're doing this maximum output for like 30 45 seconds whatever. But I had to do that over and over again for two and a half to 3 hours after the other stuff that I had been through. So I was getting close to the end and they were saying, you know, he's getting close, he's down there, he's right there. Keep going. And at one point, you know, maybe they could sense that I was flagging a little bit. I was getting tired and um I had two midwives at that point because one midwife manages you and the other midwife manages the baby. So when the baby's getting close, a second midwife comes in to, you know, take care of him when he comes out. And I remember this other midwife, they were both fantastic. At one point she said, "Look, no one can do this, but you, and you have to, you have to dig deep. You have to do it. Now we're getting close to the end. You got to do this. And that might sound a little scary, but for me, it was like what I needed. It was like, you have to do this. You really don't have a choice and you you're getting pretty close to like kind of problem time. You know, he was still doing fine, but like I wasn't going to be able to do it much longer. So Those last few rounds, those pushes, I just gave every single thing, every ounce of any energy that I could ever have in my body. And I pushed as hard as I could and his head came out. And again, I remember this. I felt it. Uh, You may read about that phase, which is called the ring of fire, because it's a burning, stretching, painful feeling of having a giant baby's head come out of your body. And that was definitely the most painful part. I mean, people will tell you the contractions are the most painful part. Um, Maybe if you don't, if you're, I don't know, have a um, epidural and you can't feel anything from the waist down, maybe, but I felt it. The only reason it doesn't hurt maybe as much as contractions or people say that it doesn't hurt as much is because it's for a relatively shorter time. I think it's a much more intense pain, but it lasted a few minutes which is still longer than I would have liked. Um, but I felt him come out of me and I felt his head come out. And then the midwife said, okay, his head's out. He's there. He's got Brown hair. You can reach down and touch him, which I did. Um, and she said, now we just got to get the rest of him out. So, be calm, be slow, take lighter breaths. You don't want to shoot him out across the room because that is actually when a lot of the damage to the mother can occur. Um, you're in a rush to get him out. Uh, and you kind of, you might push too forcefully or not be able to feel that you're pushing or maybe the doctor pulls him out strongly, whatever. So I was kind of taking shorter, lighter breaths and I, I just knew he was coming. He was so close. And it took another minute of this kind of searing, burning pain. And then I felt the relief of the rest of his body coming out. And I opened my eyes for the first time in probably 12 hours. And I see my midwife holding this big old baby over me. And it was just like every, again, cliched movie. It was just the the happiness and the euphoria and the relief of it being done. And he was there. And she puts him in my arms. And we're both just covered in grossness. And I held him and I, I don't think I actually cried. I was just kind of like, Oh, my baby, my baby. I was so happy. I will say big man over here. He was emotional. He was crying, but he had just watched like probably the most gnarly thing anyone could ever see. And then his baby appears. So very emotional time for both of us. Um, So yeah, he was out, he was out. I felt relief. I was kind of holding him for a bit, within a few minutes, we kind of attempted the whole uh, breastfeeding thing, which you want to do as soon as possible after. And, you know, all that skin to skin, just healthy bonding, physical touch. Cause he just went through a lot too. My baby just went through a pretty traumatic experience as well, and they want to be comforted and held. And so we were able to do that while um, the placenta was birthed, which for me was a, again, a relatively uneventful process. It didn't Take an inordinate amount of time. It didn't hurt more than the last thing. So, just kind of that happened. And we cut the cord. And that was my birth. So, after the fact, my midwives told me that, you know, on paper, it was a pretty typical birth in terms of sort of how long it took. And, you know, he came out healthy and screaming and a great APGAR score and all that. Nothing overly sort of traumatic or bad, um, but they did say that my, my um, pushing, like the actual delivery, was quite difficult and quite intense. And it's going to sound like bragging, but I'm just telling you what the midwife said. They said, if you were not as fit and strong and prepared as you were you probably wouldn't have been able to do that by yourself um, because he wasn't coming out without a pretty significant fight. Um, And I'm, I'm proud of that. I mean, I wish he had come out easier. (laughs) Um, But I, I take a lot of um, comfort in knowing that I did my research. I had the right team. I worked hard and I was able to have more or less the birth that I wanted to have. Um, And so after the fact, I, remember a couple things. I remember that I couldn't really see straight because I had been squinting my eyes shut for 12 hours and I was looking at the midwives and they were telling me all this stuff. And I was like, okay, like I didn't know what was going on. Um, and I remember that, um, my midwife checked me out afterwards because they deal with the aftercare of stitching and fixing and making sure the bleeding is normal and all of those things. And my midwife, Checked me out and said, "Guess what? No tearing." And I gave her a high five because it was it was due to her and a number of other factors. I think that that resulted in me having very minimal damage after birthing a eight pound, ten ounce baby who's twenty two inches long. He's a big baby, not giant crazy, but he was a solid baby, and I'm not a large person. She said, I mean, first of all, shout out to um, Julie. She was my midwife and she was incredible. And she was kind of one of her uh, points of pride is to, again, minimize damage for mothers and try to avoid tearing when possible, Um, because it is extremely common. It's very rare not to tear, especially on your first birth. But there are a lot of things you can do to minimize that risk. And I would say for me, the things that minimized it were, first of all, just being in a tub for seven hours. You know what happens to your skin when you are wet for a long time? It's, you know, softens the tissues. So that helped probably. Um, She also said just tissue skin quality, right? So some of that might be genetics and luck. Some of it might be the fact that I eat a nutrient dense diet and I eat collagen on the reg, which is good for your skin and your ligaments and your tissues. Um, and then another part of it was being unmedicated. I was able to really listen to their instructions about how and when to push and how hard, um, a lot of times when you cannot feel what you're doing, you do not know how hard you're pushing. You don't know if you're pushing correctly. There are incorrect ways to push that are going to maybe, um, make the process more prolonged or increase the chances that you will tear and have damage. Um, so that was good. And then lastly, having a midwife who she was in there, you know, adjusting things and (laughs) working for me to make sure that he came out, um, as painlessly, I mean, as damage free as possible. Um, so for all of those reasons, that was another big point for me that i really wanted to do it this way to minimize my own damage and i'll say that i don't care if it sounds selfish it's what i wanted and that's what happened so we can talk about postpartum in the next phase but my recovery was much easier as a result of it i had no stitches i had no like muscular i may have had some very superficial obviously swelling and tenderness and whatever but i did not tear big old baby so i remember um, some kind of funny things after the fact you know i we were able to order food immediately after and so we both ordered some breakfast sandwiches and we're sitting on this bed that frankly is still covered in my blood and eating a breakfast sandwich and my midwife was inspecting my placenta as they do because they want to make sure that it was healthy that it came out whole so there weren't pieces still inside me, which could be problematic and dangerous. And so she's sitting on the edge of the bed and she's got my placenta, which anybody Google it, Google what it looks like. It's a large organ that kind of looks like a liver. It's kind of, you know, it's crazy looking. And she's like, so this is what your placenta looks like. And this is the side that was attached to your uterus. And this is the side that was attached to him. And here's your umbilical cord. And this is a nice, healthy placenta. And look at it, look at it. And I'm just eating my sandwich looking at one of my own organs outside of my body. It was a very surreal moment, but I think for the author of It Takes Guts, for someone who has dedicated their life to organ meats, I thought it was on brand for me. Just a crazy moment. She asked if I wanted it. I said, no, thank you. It served its purpose. It can move on its way now. Um, So that was crazy. I mean, I got up probably a half an hour after giving birth and took a shower. And I remember being in there in this massive, big shower and they were all outside, you know, attending to Magnus and talking and doing whatever they were doing. And I kind of was just sort of like standing in my brand new postpartum body and thinking there's a baby out there that was inside me a half an hour ago. I just gave birth. This is crazy. I was quite sort of wobbly and kind of felt a little bit weird, but I was I was there. I was standing and showering and taking care of myself and my stomach had kind of gone down a little bit, but it was definitely still pregnant. I have some postpartum pictures I can share. Um, that was it. I was, I was bleeding a lot, um, which is normal. Um, but otherwise I was really just mostly very tired. Um, so that was it. They, they weighed and measured him. They checked me to make sure I was good to go. There's a minimum amount of time that they want to keep you afterwards to make sure that you are again, safe to go home. We left the birth center just about three hours after I gave birth and put that little miniature creature into a car seat and we drove home. And that was a trip. And luckily, uh, generally the day after birth, babies are pretty much chill and tired because they just went through a crazy thing. So we went home and kind of got him out and I stumbled into my bed and I fell asleep for about two and a half hours. And then we got up and continued with the rest of our life. Um, but that was essentially the story. I mean, I didn't have to stay overnight in a hospital because, you know, usually why you do that is so that the doctors can take a look at you and check you out. But our midwives came to the house the next morning and started the whole process so we got to go home and be in the comfort of our home which was pretty awesome and you know for the primal paleo ancestral health person in me it was kind of a cool experience to know that yes i was in the comfort of a birth center um but other than that and i mean i guess the iv too but generally speaking that birth could have happened anywhere at any time in history really um You know, it just amazed me that I did that. And then I could kind of just get up and go about my life. And there was the baby. And now I I can take care of him with my own body. It's just, it was a really intense experience. Um, But some of the things I want to talk about a little bit more generally um, that may apply to people lessons learned, you know, that isn't about my personal experience, because that was my experience. Everyone's experience is going to be different. Um, But some things that I wanted to really talk about. This is one piece of advice that I actually feel quite strongly about. And I said earlier that I'm not going to like tell you what to do because at the end of the day, you do what you want and what works for you. But the one strongest suggestion that I probably have is to do your research and make a plan. Lots of people talk about just, you know, I just wanted to like see how it goes and just follow the vibe and just do whatever. I just don't think that's a good idea. I think that different people are going to have different ways of planning and preparing, and not everybody has to write a birth plan, and not everyone has to spend three hours on the internet every day researching every single thing. Some people are going to be more lax and chill and go in different directions. But this is the most intense experience that most human beings will ever have in their lives. To not do any prep... Any mental prep, any physical prep, any written prep, any planning, any talking with your partners, it to me, it seems, I'm sorry, it seems nuts, okay? If you were planning on climbing Mount Everest, if you were planning on doing a ultra endurance race, if you were planning on going to the Olympics, like that's the level of singular crazy experience that you are having. If you were planning on hitch, I don't know, like hiking the Appalachian Trail, You wouldn't say, oh, I'm just going to wing it. I'm not really, it makes me nervous to plan and who knows how it'll go. So like, what's the point? No. Okay. Do some prep because it will help you. Even if your birth doesn't go the way that you planned or prepared for it to, You will be empowered because you know the different options. I researched what would happen if I had to get an emergency C-section, if I had to be transferred to the hospital, if I decided to get medication, if I hemorrhage, all of these things, because I wanted to know what my options were. I wanted to know what decisions I had in any of these circumstances. Yeah, I didn't like thinking about some of it. And if it stresses you out, like there are ways you can think about it or work with it that are going to not make you super anxious, but like understand what your options are, understand what could happen in any circumstance. If you're into take the medicated route, like look at the pros and cons of the different options, because it will help you make decisions when go time happens and you are in a crazy stressful situation. Um, Also, talk to your partner and your support system, if it's doulas, if it's your mom, if it's your sister, if it's your husband, whoever. Talk to them about what you hope and what you plan and how they can help you and the different ways that they can support you. And know that this stuff can change at the time. But if you want somebody to hold your hand the entire time and tell you that you're amazing, if you want someone to kind of leave you alone, if you want him to be the one who talks to the doctors because you're freaking out and can't talk... Have these conversations. Say, I really want to try to go unmedicated, but let's have like a secret code word for if I'm like over it and want some an epidural or something. Plan these things ahead of time. Okay. Talk to your care providers. If you have a midwife, like I went through all this stuff. I said this is what I would hope to have. I understand that you know things are going to come up. My midwife talked to me about all of the ways that things could go wrong, frankly, because it's important to know these things. Like she had told me ahead of time that one in five people who go to the birth center end up transferred to the hospital. Very rarely is that a life or death emergency. Usually it is because they decide they want medication they get too tired. Maybe there is a complication after the birth with the placenta or with bleeding that the doctors have to manage. It can range from I just choose to go to the hospital to something, you know, more dire, but it's quite common for people to be transferred. It's good to know how that works. How do you get in the ambulance, your husband has to follow along in a car? Like these are things you want to know about and be prepped for so that you don't think you're dying or it's the scariest, worst experience in the world. Um, And also, this research can help you advocate for yourself during the entire process. Because one of the things I kept coming up against in my research was how many women who said, I didn't feel like I could talk to my doctors about what I wanted, or say no to something, or say I would prefer to go a different way. You felt like nervous to speak up, or you felt like maybe the doctor knew better when... Yes, doctors are educated in there to help you, but you know what you want. You know what your plan is. And I don't even want to get into the I don't even want to get into it's a whole separate podcast to talk about how kind of messed up and medicalized birth is in North America and how we look at it like this medical procedure that doctors have to fix for us instead of the vast majority of us. It is a natural Yes, intense. Yes, painful, scary experience. But it's a natural one that most of us don't need as much help as we think. Um, but we have turned it into this experience where you couldn't imagine not being at a hospital because it's a scary, crazy experience. You need to be at a hospital. You need doctors to help you. Maybe not. You know, maybe that's something that you research and and figure out what you're comfortable with and try to go that route. And the more, you know, and the more you research, and the more you get comfortable with how you envision your birth to go, the more you can advocate for yourself and get a better outcome for yourself. So even if that is, I want to give birth with an epidural at the hospital, what have you, you can still have a bit more understanding and knowledge when you're talking to your doctors when things come up, you can, you can know that you always have options and you always have a choice. Um, So that's why I feel so strongly about it. And I also feel really strongly about this research and preparation and planning, because what I have also come up against in my readings and research about pregnancy and birth, you see a lot of the word trauma. You see a lot about birth trauma and feeling like you had a traumatic experience with your birth. And while I will say that it is so intense and so visceral that it is sometimes scary to think about after the fact, and it was very intense for me, I do not feel like it was traumatic. And and it's because of how I feel about the birth. So I did some research and it turns out that the majority of people who feel like they had birth trauma... It is much more related to how they felt about their birth than how the birth actually went. So to explain that, there can be people who had a relatively quotation mark here, quote unquote, simple, easy birth, who for whatever reason, they felt like they weren't listened to, they felt out of control, they were scared, they weren't supported, they felt traumatized. And then there are people who had crazy, scary, emergency C-section births that were completely out of, you know, out of, they were crazy. They were scary and intense and they did not feel traumatized by their birth because they felt like they were supported, listened to, they felt safe. They felt all of those things. So what I'm saying is it matters less about how your birth actually went and how you felt, how you felt about your birth. That is what minimizes the trauma. And we don't want to be traumatized by our births. And we don't want to be told, at least you all survived. Who cares if you had major physical injuries and trauma that could have been prevented? Who cares if, you know, your birth went completely differently than you wanted to? We care. The women who are doing it care. It matters, you know. And we live in 2021. We live in places where hopefully you have enough access to good care that you should expect more from your birth than just at least you both survived. You want it to be an empowered, safe experience. So, the more you know, the less likely you are to have negative outcomes and be traumatized by your birth. Feel very strongly about this. So, again, you don't have to research the way I did. You don't have to, you know, make it your entire life's journey, but just talk to some people, read some books follow some health professionals or doulas or midwives or whoever on social media, run through it a bit in your head. I downloaded an app and did breath work and meditation consistently for the first time ever in my life, because I was like, I know I'm going to need to go to a different place when I do this. And I need to have that breath practice and that ability to calm myself. And I did that and it helped. Um, So that's it. Uh, It was incredibly intense It was hard to think about for a couple months afterwards, but I am proud. I'm excited about it. I'm grateful. I'm happy that it went the way it did. I would have liked less barfing. I would have liked less pushing, Um, but I generally could not have asked for a better situation with a better group of support people. Um, And the outcome of course was amazing. So that is my birth experience. Generally, I'm going to just before I turn this off and take a break for before we get into part three, I'm just going to check and see if there's any of these questions that relate to birth that I can answer. No, these are all postpartum. Okay, so that's it. That was um, that was a lot of words and a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings. But I hope that you found it helpful if you have any other specific questions I'm still willing to answer them, maybe in a blog post, um, maybe in an IG live or something. Um, but that's the general gist of it. And uh, I hope that helped you. going to take a break and I'm going to come back for part three, which is talking about the fourth trimester, postpartum, healing, recovery, breastfeeding, all that crazy stuff. So stay tuned. And here we have come to the third and final portion of this very long podcast, the fourth trimester postpartum healing and recovery portion. My brain is almost done working, so I appreciate you sticking with me and letting me kind of do this completely from my brain instead of maybe prepping like I should have, but it's all up there. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the first few months after birth, which is still a minute. I mean, he's four months old now Um, and answer a couple more questions and then we'll be done. So recovery, as I mentioned in the last section, I was fortunate to not have torn um, physically. Of course, I was still very much recovering and healing. And when you are doing that, while also trying to keep a newborn alive, not sleeping, figure out breastfeeding, all of those things, you are you know, at a distinct um, disadvantage in terms of just purely personal healing. So it's worth knowing that going into it, that... Maybe you expect it to happen faster. Maybe you expect to get back to yourself and doing other things more quickly. The the thing that I'll just keep saying over and over again is like, have patience for your, with yourself, understand that this is a very temporary and unique time in your life. Um, and Don't push it as much as you want to. And I understand people who want to get back to feeling like themselves and working out and getting strong and all of those things. But I don't know if it was Bruce Lee who said this. Forgive me if I'm quoting him wrong, but it's slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And when you're recovering in any way, trying to rush and skip ahead And go against what your body is really signaling you to do can result in injury, burnout, issues that are going to ultimately make your recovery slower because you are trying to rush it. So if you just go consistent, slow and steady, respect your body, respect the process, you will be recovered faster than if you try to rush it. And I know there's people thinking because we all do it. Yeah, sure. That's what other people should do. But for me, I can rush it because I'm unique and different. You're probably not. You should probably just take it slow. I can hear my child crying in the background. So this is going to be a fun third installment. his, His dad's with him, don't worry, but it's stressing me out. Okay, so my recovery immediately after, um, I was obviously exhausted. Um, I had sort of hormone things happening. I had like even fluid things happening. You know, you lose a ton of fluid, (laughs) all kinds when you give birth. And, um, it was like the heat, the water retention, all that stuff that was happening. So all that was happening. I had the craziest night sweats. No, just sweats for at least a month or two after birth just again this is hormones regulating like every time i would breastfeed i was just drenched in sweat that's probably gonna happen especially if you're you gave birth in the summer so that's fun um bleeding i was bleeding i mean again with the tmi but like most women who give birth no matter how you give birth you're gonna experience some pretty intense bleeding for weeks afterwards, like I was up to at least a month. Um, And the reason why is not necessarily any like trauma to your tissues, but you know, your uterus has gone from something that was like this big to something that was like this big and your placenta is growing along with that. Your placenta at the end of your birth is like the size of a dinner plate and that is attached to your uterus. So it connects the baby to the uterus. It's connecting the baby to you. And it's magic how these hormones and how your body works when you give birth and your body knows it doesn't need the placenta anymore. It detaches from the uterus, but that's not like a clean, like Lego pull apart situation. It detaches from the uterus and it leaves a wound in your uterus that is the size of a dinner plate that has to heal. And it does that quite well, but you're going to be bleeding a lot for a while. So that's a thing. So nutrition really matters. Okay. You are healing tissues, you're healing your body, you're healing internally. You are feeding another human being if you're breastfeeding, which we'll talk about. Um, but your nutrition really, really matters. So, as much as any time during this whole journey, feed yourself. Like, do not worry about calories, do not worry about carbs. You probably shouldn't be having major aversions at this point. So, if you are avoiding organ meats, meat, nutrient dense vegetables, whatever. Get back on those as much as you can. I did not restrict myself in any way. I'm still not, actually. I'm still breastfeeding and I'm still, you know, figuring it out. I'm still hungry and I'm still working very hard. So I'm eating everything. I'm eating meat and fruit and vegetables and paleo food and I'm eating a ton of carbs. I am wrapping up my breakfast. In wraps, I'm eating oatmeal. I'm eating. I'm going out to eat and eating whatever I want. Um, I'm fortunate that I don't really have any major nutrition restrictions. And you know, if I'm worried about digestion and things like that, I have supplements, um, probiotics, and digestive enzymes that help me. But the long and short of it is, nourish yourself, eat, don't restrict. You don't have to eat a bunch of junk. You should be eating nutrient dense foods to heal yourself and provide for your child. But just eat just eat enough. Um, hydration is a massive thing. So I basically was kept alive because my husband was bringing me shameless plug element, um, electrolyte beverages, like on the hour, because like I said, with the sweats, you are, if you're breastfeeding, you're feeding a baby, that's all liquid from your body going out of your body. You're trying to heal. You need to stay hydrated. So make that a massive, massive priority, just constantly be drinking and try to have it with electrolytes or salt, um, because it's not just water that hydrates you. It's the minerals and electrolytes that go with it that are brought into your body through the water. So hydrate as much as you can, you will be dehydrated and you get dehydrated real quick. So just massively prioritize that. Um, in terms of, you know, like the intimate healing part, I was, I, again, had it pretty easy. Um, I was, you know, swollen and tender and felt weird, um, for a while, but I, I would say like swelling and like general function, um, was pretty much sorted out within like a week. It was fine. You know, I actually want to make like a little aside here because I do keep saying, and I'm like, I'm worried about upsetting or offending people, but I do keep saying like, it was pretty easy. It wasn't so bad, whatever. And I do kind of actually want to try to shy away from that a little bit um, because I have a tendency to talk about, well, my pregnancy wasn't so bad and my birth wasn't so bad and my recovery wasn't so bad. And that is true if you compare it to people who had much bigger challenges and difficulties. But it also wasn't easy. And I did have some challenges and I can't, it's not helpful to me or to anyone else, to compare my experience to anyone else's and say like, well, I shouldn't really complain or it wasn't that bad because it wasn't this story because I didn't have that story. I had this one. It's the only one I know and it's the only one I can compare it to. So I am not trying to garner sympathy by saying this was so difficult. I'm also not trying to play off like this was easy because you can have the on paper easiest pregnancy birth recovery possible. And it's still insane it is still the most insane thing a human being can do, and so shout out to every single woman who has been through it. It's hardcore. So anyway, sorry, that was just a little aside. Um, and I don't really need to talk about all the like products that I use to like you know help heal and like bathroom stuff and I don't know whatever. I can talk about that in a blog post if you're interested. But basically, the first couple of weeks I really didn't do anything except eat, drink, try to sleep. And try to breastfeed. And that was a couple of weeks, solid weeks of just doing that. And then I would slowly like, you know, move around the house a little bit more. Like, I think I left the house once or twice in the first couple of weeks to like go down the block. I went for a tiny walk with him, wrapped up. And my husband like kept it very, very, very chill the first couple of weeks because your body just went through like a whirlwind and your body is moving things back into place. Your body is in many cases feeling very um, disconnected and disoriented and weak. And, you know, my core is still, of course, not back to where I want it to be. But those first couple of weeks and months, I mean, your stomach is still, you still kind of maybe look a couple months pregnant. Your uterus takes some time to come back into place and to its rightful normal size. Um, Your abs have been turned off for months. They need to kind of come back on. So your stomach feels weird and squishy and soft, and you kind of can't contract your abs very well. And I remember I was going for walks and I was just feeling things in my core and my pelvic floor that I was just like, yeah, I just had a baby. I, I can tell it's hard to explain what those feelings are. I mean, I was, again, fortunate. I didn't have any like pelvic floor issues or prolapse or anything like that. You know, it healed well. But I, I remember times that I'd like go for a walk and I'm like the, the pressure of like stomping my feet down on the ground. Like I could feel things in my core and midsection and pelvic floor that I was like, that's still healing. Take it easy, slow down. Definitely don't try to lift a weight. Um, I did not go back to the gym until probably 10 weeks, I would say about postpartum and I was feeling better by then, but I wasn't feeling like I wanted to put a barbell on my back. Um, I really, really babied myself and took it slowly. I saw a pelvic health, pelvic floor therapist who helped me figure out my core again and kind of checked for the diastasis, that separation that I was talking about. I had a minor one, which is surprising considering the size of my belly at the end, but it, it, I think came back together pretty well. And so she was teaching me exercises and breathing to um, support that area and brace that area properly and help help those muscles come back on, um, help my pelvic floor re-strengthen again, because it went through a pretty severe trip when I was giving birth and pushing a baby out through that area. Um, so all of that was healing. And so what I did at home, I would go for short, slow walks. It felt really good to be able to walk without the pelvic pain because the SPD went away as soon as the baby came out. Thank God. Um, I went for walks, and I did some mobility stuff. I mostly sat around practicing my breathing and trying to kind of feel and turn on my abs again. So I did that mostly for like the first 10 weeks. And I am now even still four months out. I'm now going to the gym when I can, which is not that often, maybe maybe two to three times a week uh, when I have help. And I'm focusing on mostly very basic bodybuilding powerlifting elements. I'm just getting back into barbell squatting, just the bar bench, pressing lightweight, um, lunges, step-ups, um, bodybuilding movements, like more isolated movements instead of compound movements, things where I can, I'm not overtaxing my core. Um, I've, played with a couple pull-ups. I'm doing a couple pull-ups. They don't feel great yet. The core pressure is still quite, uh, intense. So I'm working on that. I'm working on doing things like planks and side planks and bird dogs and lots of lots more core work than I have ever done before. Previous to this, my core work was my core getting worked when I did pull-ups and squats and deadlifts. Now I'm focusing on getting that area strong and healthy and turned on again, before I go to those other big kind of Uh, intense lifts. So, I mean, at some point I may want to share more details about what my training plan was, but it's basically like, just if there's ever a time to just give yourself a break and just be okay with taking it slow. Like, like I said, I thought I was going to be misfit pregnancy and I thought I was going to be just crushing workouts all the way through. And I really sleep pretty well. And generally am not that upset with the fact that I am moving super slowly. I'm going to have to rebuild a bunch of strength because I had a bunch of strength and a bunch of strength got me through that pregnancy and that, uh, that delivery. And I have the rest of my life to work on, you know, fun strength and looking good and all that stuff. Um, And it's fun. It's fun to kind of start over in a certain sense and like do things better this time maybe than I had done before and work on things a little bit from scratch and get back to fundamentals. I think that people who truly appreciate their sports like that kind of stuff, focusing on the fundamentals and being humble and being willing to just always be kind of have a beginner mindset in terms of learning and and, you know, just being humble about it. Um, So pelvic health therapist, highly recommend uh, highly, highly recommend uh, because pelvic floor issues are something that are very, very common, especially with women who have given birth. Um, anybody who's been in the fitness world has heard some somebody, if not themselves, that is worried about peeing when they do double unders or lifting heavy, or has had pelvic organ prolapse, where you know your organs are kind of coming down into the pelvic floor area from the stress of heavy lifting and giving birth and um, core issues and all kinds of dysfunction that happens potentially as a result of being pregnant and giving birth. And it's one of the only areas where it's like, we're told that's just what happens when you give birth. And it goes back again to the standard of care for women, where you should just be lucky that you came out of it. Like this is just one of the battle wounds that you get from giving birth. Maybe you're going to pee when you sneeze. Congratulations. You had a baby. No, Absolutely not. Again, it's common. Don't feel like you're the only one out there. It's very common, but it does not have to be that way. And there are things you can do. If you got a tennis elbow injury, you wouldn't say that's what you get for playing tennis. You would go to physical therapy. So if you have the resources, if you have the ability, go get one, get one when you're pregnant, go to them when you're pregnant, go to them after you're pregnant, they will help you. If you don't have the resources, there are tons of pelvic health Folks online, YouTube videos, Instagram, where they offer lots of help in terms of how to breathe, how to brace when you work out, which workouts you should try and not during pregnancy and postpartum, all those things. Highly, highly recommend it. Um, Sleep. I have not slept through the night since he was born. And I don't expect to for a very long time, but all I'll say there is depending on, you know, how much sleep you're getting. If you have a partner, if you have help, if you have a baby who sleeps well, a baby who doesn't, you're still going to have messed up sleep for the foreseeable future. So my biggest advice there is there are many pieces of the health puzzle. Sleep is a very big, important one, food, hydration, stress management, exercise, exercise, Supplementation, all of those things are also other pieces. If you know that this one piece is going to kind of suck and it's a little bit out of your control, maximize those other ones. You know, there's no point in lamenting. Why can't I get eight hours of an uninterrupted sleep? You're not going to like face it. So, double down on the other stuff. Double down on stress management. Again, if you have the resources and the ability, like take a couple minutes to yourself every day. Breathe. Watch a show that you like. Paint your nails. Take a long shower. Do these things that help a little bit, just like reset your brain and make you feel better and whatever. Hang out with your friend. Go for a walk. Get a coffee. Stuff like that. Eat well. Nourish yourself. Hydrate yourself. Take some supplements that help. Do the other things that can kind of fill up those buckets because you know this one's going to suck, right? So that's all I'd say about that. I definitely was very lucky for a long time before my kid that the way that i worked and i work from home and i'm an entrepreneur that i did not have to get up to an alarm for like over a decade and i definitely not live in that life right now i definitely don't look bright-eyed and bushy-tailed when i wake up in the morning anymore (laughs) i'm tired but i am functioning much better than I maybe could be because I'm just trying to maximize those other areas. So that's, that's always it. You know, like there are some things that are going to be out of your control. Just focus on the things you can control and don't overly stress about the other stuff because what's stress going to do make it worse. Right. Um, Okay. So I'll talk quickly about breastfeeding. I decided and I always wanted to try to breastfeed um, because I believe that that is the most convenient probably healthiest. I mean, look, that's how we got here. Breastfeeding, um, cheapest, whatever way to feed your kid. And I wanted to try and do it as long as I could. And it's incredibly hard and exhausting. And at least for me, very painful. Um, I had a pretty rough time at the beginning, Magnus latched really well. He took to breastfeeding quite well. Um, but for any host of reasons i found it very painful for the first few weeks very painful which i think is quite normal as your boobs get used to what is happening to them um but then it's kind of supposed to peter off and like i'm it probably wasn't until three maybe three and a half months that i was like okay this is fine you know like it sucked for a while it was very very unpleasant and still. Isn't pleasant. I love to do it because I love to provide for my son and I love that I can soothe him and make him feel better, but it does not feel great for me. And so if it never feels good for you, that's okay. I definitely got a sense on the internet that it's like this beautiful, peaceful, like meditative time. And I'm like, no, it's kind of like someone's gnawing on your boob for hours a day. And that's not awesome. So If you love it and it feels good, fantastic. If you don't love it and it doesn't feel good, also pretty normal. Uh, I did see a lactation consultant because I was like, this hurts and doesn't feel good, help. And I think the lactation consultant was helpful. Um, But it's just, it's, it's a slog. It takes so much dedication. It is exhausting. It takes so much energy. And I can't be away from him for more than a couple hours because... He needs me to eat. Um, We're working on the bottle stuff. At the very beginning, I was pumping and like making enough for like one bottle a day so that Alex could take him and maybe let me sleep a little bit in the morning. And at the beginning, he took it fine. Again, he's a big boy, he's a big eater. So he basically took whatever. Now that he's a little bit older and a little bit more aware of his surroundings, he's actually more picky and not quite so into the bottle. So That's sort of our next goal um, as we begin to talk about feeding him and he's going to start taking food soon, um, but also how to get him more on the bottle situation so that I can just pump. He can still have breast milk, but he doesn't have to be so attached to me because at some point I'd like to go to a dinner that's longer than 80 minutes long. So that's that. Um, I could do a whole other episode about my research and experiences with soon to come this next stage, which is baby led weaning, feeding the baby foods, whatever. But like you guys already know, I'm going to feed this guy paleo real food. Like his first foods I anticipate will be bone marrow, avocado, sweet potato, some big hunk of meat. He's just going to chew on. Um, He's going to eat what we eat and we'll play it by ear from there. Um, So I'll keep you posted on that journey. But um, breastfeeding is incredibly, incredibly difficult and It's happening while you're still trying to figure out so many other things and it can go on for a very long time. Like at this point, he's going to be exclusively breastfeeding until he starts eating real food. And then we'll kind of see how it works for both him and me, how long we're going to go. I would anticipate I'll try to make it to a year. Um, But I mean, man, I, 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 I'm excited to have my boobs back. We'll say that. So that's that, um, respect everyone's choice. It's, this is what's worked for us, but it is in no way easy. And I think, I guess, I think the other thing that I'll say there is just that it goes into like the research that I said, do research for the the birth and do research about breastfeeding and how to do it and how to latch and how it works. Because just because something is natural, which obviously childbirth and breastfeeding is, doesn't mean it's easy and doesn't mean it comes easily. That's probably my biggest complaint about like the human body in general is, if we're supposed to be doing this, why is birth so freaking hard and painful? It's we have it the hardest of all mammals. Like watch other mammals give birth. They're kind of just like, oop, here we go, see you, and it's fine. You know, it's a lot of work for us. And there's a lot of physiological reasons why that is. There's also maybe some cultural and more modern reasons why that is. But don't assume that it's going to be easy and that it's going to come naturally because it's natural. And if it doesn't come easily, it's not because you suck or you're broken. It's because it's hard. So, you know, do your research, reach out to people, ask questions. Like it helps. It really, really helps. So that's basically that. Um, I will say four months out, I feel pretty close to my normal self. Like I probably feel like pretty close to what I would feel like if I just didn't work out for a year which is kind of sort of what happened um i still feel relatively fit i feel healthy but i've lost some muscle i've definitely lost some strength my core strength is still coming back Um, but as far as like you know the birthing process the whole area everything i feel fine i'm recovered i feel good i feel healthy I feel like myself. um, I just feel like myself with a new project to get back into the gym and get fit and get healthy. Uh, I don't anticipate um, even thinking about making adjustments to my diet until probably at least the six month mark um, when he is less reliant on me for feeding. And then at that point, I might start to like lower the carbs back down and eat a bit more like I normally would, which is just high protein, high fat, slightly lower carbs. Right now I'm kind of high protein, high fat, high carbs. I'm just eating everything. Um, but I'm burning so much energy and so many calories that it's like a non-issue right now. So, uh, yeah, maybe we'll talk about that in a future episode or something about when I actually like kind of get back to fitness for me instead of fitness for postpartum life. Um, so I'll keep you posted on that. Um, I think there's a couple of quick questions that I can address and then we'll be done here. Um, so yeah, breastfeeding and nutrition, are carbs necessary? I, again, not a doctor, but pretty much everybody I have talked to in this industry, smart people, doctors, OBGYNs, midwives, nutritionists. I don't think anybody recommends low carb for breastfeeding. Um, And again, that might look different for different people. I'm not saying you have to like crush carbs all day long and add a bunch of processed carbs to your diet, but why? Why would you try to be low carb? Is it because you're trying to minimize weight gain. You're, I mean, you're growing a baby and then you're feeding a baby Um, eat food and carbs probably are going to help you. And you're probably going to crave carbs. If you do eat them, eat potatoes, sweet potato, starchy vegetables, whatever makes you feel good, eat fruit, but it doesn't make sense to try to eat low carb. It just seems like it would make things harder for you. Um, and potentially cause problems. So I do not recommend low carb at any point in the journey of giving birth to having, feeding a baby. Um, postpartum hair loss. I didn't, I so far haven't really noticed that. I think it gets worse when you like wean off breastfeeding. Cause then again, it's like another hormonal shift, but I will say I didn't really notice that my hair got better during pregnancy either, which a lot of people say you've got this fantastic hair when you're pregnant and then it's like gross afterwards. It's basically like the hormones that are happening to your body when you're pregnant, keep your hair from falling out as much as it normally would. Cause we're all, our hair is all falling out all the time, just like normal amount of shedding. And then that turns on again after birth. So it seems like you're kind of going bald, I think for some people, but I think it's actually a normal, your hormones just catching up. I didn't really have like a fantastic head of hair in pregnancy anyway. And I haven't noticed a significant issue after the fact. I think it's just, um, he's crying again. I know he's going to come up here. Um, I lost my train of thought. Yeah. So it could happen to some people. Doesn't happen to other people. Nutrient dense diet is all I can say. Nutrient dense diet, take care of yourself, minimize stress that will probably minimize the hair loss. I haven't really noticed much one other, um, just a quick aside. I know this podcast can be so long. One other symptom that I did get that I didn't really know a lot about in pregnancy was, um, it's called melasma, melasma. And it's like also called the pregnancy mask and it's your melanin, um, in your skin. It's like hyperpigmentation. And I don't know if it happens to certain people or maybe cause I like tan easy. I don't know, but I kind of had like splotchy dark patches on my face, which weren't super hot. Um, just is what it is. It went away afterwards. I wasn't super worried about it. I knew it was a normal thing that could happen because I did my research. But yeah, if you start getting like blotchy patches on your face when you're pregnant, it's a thing. It happens. It's fine. It was kind of like a cool look for a while and now it's gone. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. So that's it. And then the last one I thought was kind of interesting. Someone asked, "How do you plan to manage your son's social media presence?" As you may have noticed already, I'm not really posting a lot of pictures of him. Um, I'm not really showing his face. That's just what I feel comfortable with. Um, you know, I've never really like showed a ton of private personal stuff on social media. My social media account is largely professional, and then secondary to that, it is also kind of showing you a little bit of me. And so you'll see some family. You'll see Alex. You'll see. Magnus here and there, but it's a slippery slope. You know, it's like I have a public account. There's lots of people looking at it. I value my privacy. I value his privacy. I don't know what he's going to be into when he gets older. Um, but it's just a, it, I just feel more comfortable. and I just think it's easier to not show him um, when he gets older. He can decide if he wants to be all over the Internet or not. And maybe I'll show a little bit more of him here and there as he gets older. but right now it just feels more meaningful for me to keep him to my close friends and family. Um, and trust me, I want to show him off. He's so cute. I want you guys all to see him, but it's just it's just what we're deciding to do right now. So um, I'll talk about him and he's the cutest thing in the world and I love him, but, at this point, I just think it's um, it's just something that I decided with my husband that we would um, mostly keep him out of the public eye. And I, I'm fine with that. I send pictures of him to my family and friends all day, every day. They're probably tired of it. And that's how we're managing that right now. So that's basically it. I think I'm going to go run to see why little Magnus is freaking out. But thank you so much for coming along with this journey with me. Um, Like I said, it's it's an epic one. I regret nothing, um, but I'm still in the thick of it. So um, I just appreciate you guys being interested and engaging with me. And I feel so grateful to have this platform. I feel so grateful to have the resources that I have and the community who has been so supportive and excited for me. I am just excited to see what comes in the new year and uh, I'm happy and healthy and I hope that I can help you guys do that and and feel that and be that as well. So as always, please, please, please share, rate and review this podcast if you want me to keep it going. And I kind of mean that as a mild threat because I'm thinking about not doing that. I need to know that you guys are interested and you want to continue to hear from me and support me. So please share it. Please leave a rating and review. Um, Reach out to me, share it on social media, reach out to me on my website, ashleyvanhouten.com. I'll put that in the show notes. Reach out to me on Instagram at The Muscle Maven. Ask me questions, give me feedback, tell me what you think, what you'd like to hear um, so I can decide how I'm going to move forward in the new year. But regardless, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here, still providing lots of exciting things for you uh, in the coming year that you will see and hear about. So ways for us to connect, Um, but that's it. I'm going to shut her down. Enjoy Christmas with my family. I hope you do too. Um, All the best. Thank you for listening and we'll see you again soon.